0: This is an Area Code Podcast. Hi, I'm Amy Simmons.
1: And I'm Crispin Mayfield. And welcome to the Attached to the Invisible podcast. Today I have Ashley Davis Gavila with me, and I'm really excited about this. She doesn't know this, but uh, this was one of the reasons that I wanted to start this podcast. Um, I read your dissertation uh, last year because a friend sent it to me, and I was like, I just have like all these questions, and so I was like, I should start a podcast to like Have a reason to like have these conversations um, and like let other people in on on the conversation. So,
0: wow. Well, hi, everyone. And I'm going to need to take a minute to sit with that amazing information because I'm almost in tears. That's a that's such a huge honor, Crispin. Thank you, mm. thank
1: you. Yeah, it was really so. Um, I guess starting there, uh, you is it a dissertation? Is that the right term? Yes, okay. it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, a friend had texted me and just said like, "Hey, have you read this?" And it's called "Breaking Evangelical: An Attachment-Focused Framework for Healing Spiritual Trauma." Yes, and yes. and yeah, it was just really. Um, really great to just see all these different pieces put together and see someone looking at people that have left the church. I think especially there's so many narratives that go on about why people leave the church. And a lot of them have to do with like, they weren't strong enough or they didn't have enough faith character flaws. Um, and so to take Hmm. some of this psychological research (laughs) and understand what is going on, uh, when people, um, I guess the way I would put it is like kind of lose faith in the church. Yes. Um, And yeah, and currently you are a a trauma-informed life coach and spiritual midwife.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) Right, yeah. So what does that mean for like your day-to-day?
0: Well, for my day-to-day right now, I'm kind of, of course, in the same boat as everybody with our um, staying home and staying healthy. Um, but I've, I've done a lot of different things through my career, but now I, I hold a lot of space. I have a lot of conversations. I do a lot of watching and observing. Um, I try to, um, sort of just watch for moments of pain where I might be able to come alongside, um, in, uh, you know, the role of a midwife, of course, is encouraging and, uh, you know, catching if need be. You know, it's just this this posture of service and um, encouraging the person doing all the work, really. <laughs> and so, um, and in my case, there's a lot that I've been through myself also. And mm-hmm. so kind of coming from a place of camaraderie and... Uh, coming alongside to see who you are. Why do you do the things you do? What are the patterns in uh, behaviors, perhaps, or your spiritual experiences? Who is God to you? How do you interact with God if you believe God exists? Um, there's a lot of questions. So I do a lot of asking questions and listening to answers and asking questions and responses to questions. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> um, so yeah. I think that's so great. Um, growing up in the church myself, it's always like about learning about God and kind of uh, you're in, you're in, in taking information Um, And sometimes there isn't time for that Mm -hmm. reflection and like curiosity and exploration of what's going on internally. So I'm so glad that you're able to provide that for people. Yes,
0: me too. It's um, To me, it's a a very holy work and um, entering into mystery and allowing that to unfold as it will while also holding to a very firm grounding in reality. There's a lot of paradox involved, mm-hmm. but I kind of like that. So. Yeah. <laughs> it works well.
1: <laughs> yeah. It, it seems like paradox is like part of spirituality. Um, and it's like when we when we yes. try to make everything just fit really cleanly is sometimes when we get into trouble. But
0: Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't always go so well. <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> How would you, so you wrote this dissertation about spiritual trauma with an attachment framework. How would you Mm -hmm. define spiritual trauma?
0: So since we are ideally integrated people, we were created to be integrated in mind, body, and spirit. All trauma has a spiritual component because we can't separate that truly from the rest of our Mm -hmm. container and so spiritual trauma you know shows up in lots of different ways but i would say is primarily a result of abusive systems of power and control and those can show up in just about any facet of daily life, but unfortunately has been uh, almost a key feature of evangelical church hierarchical leadership. And so that's sort of what started me asking these questions, was just starting to notice and hearing the stories of women in particular that like no wait a minute why why are these statistics showing up why what is this data showing me this this is pointing to something and um that's kind of what started me down that road of investigating what what is spiritual trauma i hadn't really heard much about that term at the time Mm -hmm.
1: yeah and what is it about thinking about attachment and attachment framework what what does attachment um Mm -hmm. offer to that conversation about spiritual trauma
0: well, as most of your listeners probably know by now, attachment is really important <laughs> to all of us. And that's what gives us our relationship template. And um, our relationship with God is one of those. And so um, with with attachment to God and seeing God as an authority figure... Um, Those earliest experiences feed into that just as much as they do our current adult relationships. So um, one of my favorite quotes about this actually comes from the movie The Crow. Mm. And I might be kind of dating myself for <laughs> <laughs> for this, but it's such a beautiful quote. And it comes from a poet, but I first heard it in The Crow. Mother is the name for God upon the lips and hearts of little children.
1: Mm.
0: And that, that hit me and that resonated with me in a way that was so unexpected, especially because I am a mom. My son is seven and... Mm the journey into motherhood both destroyed me and brought me to life as most good spiritual experiences do kind of do both. <laughs> um, and so our, our earliest attachments are going to really, really affect our attachment with God um, inevitably. And that attachment, um, you know, can, I can kind of go into more of like God images and God concepts later in the conversation. But um, that felt like a lot of pressure to me as a parent. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was like, "Um, okay, how, how do I do this? Oh my word. Like this is, this is so beyond me. This is so beyond me, but the, especially the feminine aspect of God that again, and, most of our evangelical churches and circles is so downplayed or ignored or downright torn down. Um, So I would say like with our attachments, um, the nurturing caregiver, regardless of the gender of that person necessarily is, is vital and pivotal in how we form those, um, the internal God images
1: Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Just as you read that little quote, it gave me chills.
0: Doesn't yeah. it? I just.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it makes a lot of sense because it really it speaks to something that we know that isn't often put into words, especially because in the evangelical church, God is equated with father so much that we just tend to think in those terms. And then Mm -hmm. just to have that put into words like, oh yeah, that, that totally resonates on such a deep level.
0: Yeah. So thank you, the crow. Um, And (laughs) never would have expected unexpected places, but isn't that so like the spirit to show up in unexpected places Mm -hmm. and to take us by surprise Mm. and kind of like make us pause and slow down and really consider um, and and to trust the feeling and the response that we have to that, I think that's another um, such a vital part of of spiritual trauma that I see so often, is that internal knowing of self and being able to trust ourselves intuitively to um, to trust our own emotional responses, how we feel that in our bodies. Those are things that have been, in a way, um, either never nurtured or uh, identified, or, at the worst of spiritual abuse, actively destroyed, and um, that that goes to a very very deep level, and um, can be, I mean, just catastrophic in some ways for people in, in faith in spirituality. And just really hard to come back from that. Not impossible, um, it can be turned into something beautiful. And I think that's that's the the part of my work where I, I see is like mm-hmm. okay, let's let's yeah. dig through what here is it, because um, it may look like it's all attachment. Dead, but
1: what does it have from to, death do to do life, with right? the life of the church, especially if uh, it seems like so much of our attachment is predetermined in childhood? Um, what does that have to do with being adults and being a part of the congregation we're a part of?
0: I I think it's important to note that you're not doomed to have (laughs) an insecure God (laughs) attachment. Oh, you know, I I think that um, we're not responsible for the things that happened to us in our childhood, but we have a very unique opportunity when we start noticing how those, um, hurts and injuries are showing up in our life and healing from those. So, um, I tend to be somewhat idealistic (laughs) and so I'll kind of speak, try to speak from out of my idealism and not criticism for when it comes to the church because there's plenty out there that, uh, can really unpack and better than me, you know, some of the, the problems and the, um, illnesses within the body. But I would say for attachment within church, we, we come to church, we have to sort of think about how do we define what that is? Um, my definition is the body of Christ. I take that to mean that me as a Christ follower, follower in the ways of Jesus, that part of my responsibility is to embody Christ, to embody a shalom approach to life, and that includes a healing approach to life, because as we know, Jesus came teaching, preaching, and healing. Well, the church for the last many, many, many years has done a great job well, that could be debated. <laughs> of <laughs> teaching and preaching, but where's the healing been? Um, we we see it sometimes in a almost. Um, and this is this is the hard part with with all of this is that all three of those teaching, preaching, and healing can be wielded abusively. There's a lot of power um, at stake when you are in a position of authority over people. And in church, I think that is unfortunately a type of power that attracts narcissists. And I've seen that up close and personal firsthand many times. And since I define spiritual trauma, you know, as primarily abusive systems and structures of power um you know this has presented a really difficult thing for me because i'm friends with a lot of pastors mm. uh, my most of my career has been within uh the church and parachurch organizations and christian publishers and um I used to be a missionary and, you know, all these things. I could never be ordained because it was a denomination, denomination that didn't ordain women. But um, I, I had really been very involved in, in churches that were, you know, kind of set up around events, around uh, people sitting listening to another person talk. A lot of um, business practices, a lot of educational practices that maybe weren't bad in and of themselves, but when blended together with all these other things ended up being, you know, uh, damaging. And so attachment within church... I would pre again. I I, like what I would really prefer to see is that leaders, for lack of a better term, any spiritual anyone can be a spiritual leader. You know Mm -hmm. that these people would be very, very in tune to their own traumatic experiences and healing those and becoming safe people for survivors. And in that process, just that process right there, (laughs) I think the body of Christ would flourish in ways that perhaps maybe would hearken to New Testament, you know, sharing everything in common, really taking care of one another's Mm -hmm. needs. Um, And because everyone had need and we all have need, there's not one of us that doesn't have something that can offer to another person. So... When churches set up to be you know quote unquote helpers and like do ministry to the needy people it's it's setting up these um the imbalance of power. so with attachment, and we all have. Either, you know, the secure, the variations of insecure attachments, just having the knowledge and awareness that everybody is, has some Mm -hmm. variation of that. That alone, I think just education is helpful and would enable church leaders to approach things maybe with um, just more humility and understanding um, and grace for where people are in that moment um, and, and just holding space in patience for each other and not having these expectations of, oh, we have to do this, this, and this and um, rushing and hurrying through life and we're all forced to slow down right now we are all whether we like it or not mm-hmm. we're kind of in survival mode right now i think we're going to those lower of maslow's hierarchy we're like okay we're, we're kind of in the base getting our our base needs met but eventually i think hopefully everyone's going to start thinking about these more higher kind of um things and, and introspective within self Um, And I'm hoping that happens within the church. The church as we know it doesn't exist anymore.
1: Right, yeah. And I was with an attachment framework. I interviewed my friend Jeffrey Ulrich a little while ago, who's done research, um, you know, researching dyads in uh, in the strange situation. Um, And he talks about how, you know, if there's a bear in the room, all the kids jump in their parents' lap. But if you introduce a certain level of stress, That's not like total emergency, Mm -hmm. but it is a level of stress. You're going to see the differences in how people cope. And I think that's exactly what's going on right now is there's definitely this extra layer of stress, um, but there's no clear way how to respond. And so I think we're seeing that come out in a lot of different ways.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And in churches, especially because you've got some churches that have refused to close their doors. Mm And then you've got others that are have already been online and have adapted fairly easily, it seems. But again, it comes down to these questions about mm-hmm. what is church? What's the point? What is why does it exist? And who is my neighbor? Um, these are these are questions we have to start asking and answering.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I wonder, um, What are some of the dynamics? Um, uh, Well, I think for one, right, we often start um, with some attachment trauma or some wounding. I would say everyone has some level of wounding from their childhood because, you know, parents aren't perfect. um, And myself included, I have a couple of kids. And so people come into the church with these needs and these wounds. um, And then there, it seems like there are some churches that are, um, and it, it, you know, there's so many variations here. But I wonder for you, when you think about characteristics of, of a spiritual community that's able to heal some of those attachments. Uh, What do you see? And, you know, maybe on the flip side, what are things where you see, maybe with the best of intentions, but it just doesn't have that power to really create the healing environment that people need?
0: That's a really, really great question. Um, I'm not a brain scientist, but I did a lot of brain research in my dissertation. Uh Uh-huh. And... Because, uh, again, it goes back to this triune concept, I feel like, that that a healing framework has to have kind of that triune concept. I've got an entire chapter on the Trinity and perichoresis, all these great, you know, big concepts that I'm still, I mean, I'm still wrestling with these things Mm -hmm. (laughs) every day. Um, One of the researchers I ran across had this uh, concept of the triune brain. And... I've heard different terms for, you know, these um, different parts of the brain. Um, this is Keith Edwards that I'm referencing here. But we have these three parts is a somatic emotion slash survival brain. And um, then we also have a perceiving and feeling relational brain. And then a symbolizing reasoning transcending brain. So we've kind of got these three um, parts, And um, mm-hmm. I've heard uh, it referred to as lizard brain, the downstairs brain, you know, um, and then we've got the upstairs brain and some of the, you know, the reason I talk about that is that I think that when it comes to healing and what it would look like in these different contexts, things that get it all of all three of those so we're looking at these somatic tangible experiences because to rewire and to start healing some of these um, relational neural pathways that have been so damaged ironically requires us to take that leap of faith and trust into relationship again we're wounded in relationships. We're healed in relationships. And so these, uh, a healing community, I'm going to get really idealistic here.
1: Uh-huh. Would,
0: <laughs> it's good to know um, where
1: we're shooting for.
0: Right. I'm so, I'm an Enneagram four. it's, <laughs> it's just, I, I, I embrace it, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, Would be a group of people who are appropriately and healthy, in healthy ways, interdependent, where needs are expressed and met, and that the needs are expressed in in healthy ways that we've learned ways of saying, this is what I need right now, and to do it in a way that is respectful of the other and to know who to take that need to so in a a spiritual community right now i i have a feeling that we're going to start watching our very neighborhoods turn into these there's a great opportunity i feel like right now and i could end up being wrong but i could see just this great opportunity here in my neighborhood you Mm -hmm. know the the people that live around me if i need toilet paper. Where am I going to go to? Uh, do I have a person that I can take that need to? I mean, we. I uh, even a few months ago, I would have laughed if you had told me, I would be like, there's no way, there's no way that would happen that we would have a toilet paper shortage. Something so basic, but it it, it did happen, and um, we probably will see some more of that happening. So we have to have people we can rely on, and that requires such a huge level of trust and. Within a healing community, trust when you come in with these injuries and pain. um, Taking that step and making that decision to trust a group of people is so very risky. So before we can ever get to that point... um, you know there's so much work that it has to happen individually and then it continues to happen cuz healing is non-linear it is um sometimes really frustrating and annoying <laughs> when mm-hmm. when i have another moment where i realize oh here's another healing opportunity sometimes i get really mad i'm like i don't have time for this are you kidding me like again I thought this was resolved. And um, <laughs> I use the image of a, a spiral staircase throughout my dissertation in a different context, but it's applicable here. We It's like the onion or, you know, we're, we're treading the same path, but there's upward or downward movement. So ideally we would have um, a group of people and it doesn't have to be big. You know, we we can't handle a lot of relationships really uh the research i saw years ago said that we sociologists think we can only really handle 150 total relationships mm. mm-hmm. and that includes like you know your third space kind of people and you know so the smaller we get the smaller in number the deeper the opportunity for healing And intimacy for intimacy's sake. Hmm. That's what I would love to see happen in the body of Christ for people who choose to take that path. Um, Is that just intimacy for intimacy's sake and overcoming... Along, those, along the way, you know, this is not a uh, destination to be reached necessarily because we're all going to always be dealing with hangups, dealing with our our stuff and our pain, but having people alongside us in that that we can trust to not be uh, using it against us or gaslighting us or all of those lovely narcissistic abusive tactics um to me it doesn't seem like asking for too much but yet it's very difficult to find these kinds of healing communities so
1: right yeah it reminds me of um i was listening to an interview with kurt thompson recently um and he author of um the soul of shame um and uh The other one that he wrote that is escaping my mind. Uh, Something about the the soul, but um, he's a... A psychiatrist, um, but also has done a lot of brain brain sciencey things and integrated with theology. But what he's found is um, he's doing some research about group therapy and attachment right now, and finding Ooh. that group therapy really can help heal uh, broke, you know, insecure attachment. And it's like mm-hmm. so obvious, and at the same time, I hadn't really thought about it. So. But it, yeah, it totally makes yes. sense. As long as there, like the thing about group therapy is there is an intentionality about how do we create a safe and healthy space for people
0: to connect. So important. So important. And that, that I think is something that has kind of largely gone completely unnoticed. And when I start talking about these things and telling pastors and people saying, women aren't leaving your church because they don't like the music or because they didn't like your sermon or you were calling them out too much on sin or something. I mean, nobody really wants to have that happen to them. So, but like, no, there, there were all these really, really legitimate reasons and Mm -hmm. and they're, they're fixable. Like that's the thing is that they're fixable, but it requires a dismantling of these abusive structures of power that people don't want to let go of for various reasons and but creating safe space if if they would if people just start there and and researching and learning how to do that that would make such a huge huge difference huge
1: yeah what are the as you're talking about these legitimate reasons what are some of the most common things that you found
0: the big big ones were disenchantment a lack of emotional connection, a prioritization of self-freedom and change in beliefs. And all of those were really, you know, if if so, if they, uh, I, I'm just running through in my mind, the actual individuals that I know who um, I've talked to, if there had been at some point, just someone to be able to talk to about you know, in a, in a very candid conversation, like, um, that it could have potentially presented an opportunity for healing, but they were met with the rhetoric and the the same old, same old pat responses or whatnot. Um, so a lot of women that I work with tend to have, um, had a, a a really unfortunate run in of some sort with an authority figure within church, whether that was a Bible study leader or the pastor. And I think I want to be careful about how I talk about that because a lot of those people, the the people in leadership that were in were injuring these women themselves were dealing with so much injury, and. The levels of trauma that I've seen in some of my pastor friends that has been completely un- unattended is really heartbreaking. But they've been told that psychology is, you know, one of those evil sciences. And, oh, it's just they they poo-poo on it. They're like, oh, it's d- nothing to take seriously. Oh, those, you know, Um Whereas I'm like, oh, no, like the psycho- psychologists are some of my best friends <laughs> mm-hmm. and and like they're so amazing and like understanding our behavior and how it is, you know, behavioral health and all um, and linked to emotion. And right. um, there's such a huge opportunity for, you know, spiritual leaders and therapists to work together. Mm -hmm. um but again going back to the original question i think that the um the reasons that women were leaving church were so legitimate to me that it was glaringly obvious and yet invisible to leadership
1: yeah it makes me think about one of the one of the signs of secure attachment Um, is being able to reflect on oneself and also reflect on the other right Um, and so Mm -hmm. you know as a parent like it's being able to see your kid like um, slam the door and not just immediately been make it all about you right like there is of course that that feeling is going to come up like you know, they're, they're totally disrespectful. (laughs) They don't like me, whatever. But being able to also be like, okay, well they're in a moment of like emotional dysregulation and being able to sort of see both sides. Um, and in parents where we, where they really struggle with that, um, you know, we see parents that really take it personally or it's like, your emotions are so overwhelming for me. I need to shut you down because I can't handle your emotions. Um, and I think, unfortunately, that has that potential to play out in church.
0: Yes. And I
1: think that, um, it's kind of one of the most generous kind of interpretations is that people that didn't, weren't given the tools to manage emotions, their best strategy is like, I just, I intellectualize it. I over-spiritualize it. I, uh, but I find some way to shut it down in, in a way that makes sense in my world. Um, And what they're trying to do is they're they're trying to manage their emotions, which is what everyone's doing, but that doesn't make you a very safe or open or curious person uh, when someone comes to you with something that they're
0: struggling with. Yes, exactly. And that, I mean, that really is the one thing that I would ask of spiritual leaders and pastors is just... And and it's a big ask. It's a big ask to ask people to learn how to emotionally regulate, to sit Mm -hmm. with the present moment, to learn about what mindfulness is, things that have been um, so uh, viewed as like new age or damaging or like, you know, having whatever label ironically are some of the most um innate Mm -hmm. uh i feel god-given tools that we have and so powerful for i mean the implications of it i feel like i'm still on the front end of even beginning to understand and see the implications of all this um But yeah, exactly what you just said, like we've, we've not been given the tools. And I think that if, if our leadership Mm -hmm. within churches were given these tools, and obviously there's a lot of, of personal work that would need to happen there, there, there's, I, 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 am hardening, blah, blah, blah. I'm getting tongue tied. Like I can't even find the words. Like it would just be Uh so amazing. Right. Um, I, one analogy that I use is like, you know, if, if you have a huge hole in your yard and you need to fill it up with dirt, um, some of us only had a spoon. So, okay, I'm going to fill in with the spoon. But, mm-hmm. oh, here's somebody with a backhoe. Okay, can you teach me how to use that? Because I could fill in this mm-hmm. hole lot faster. Not that we want to like, you know, fast track healing because we have to allow it to take the course that it will. But I mean, the tools are so important. And I think that is really a great point that we just right. haven't had those in mm-hmm. evangelical. Yeah, and they are time.
1: things that I think on are present in the church in terms of spiritual direction. That's not been part of our stream, but they Mm -hmm. do exist. And I think that's really important to like the, you know, the the ability to be curious, to sit with things, to be able to face suffering um, and Mm -hmm. and help people make meaning out of it rather than making meaning of it for them. I think that a lot of those things have been present in the church in certain streams of the church. Yes. um, But it's been lost.
0: Right. Exactly. Mm Hmm. Yeah, right. or they just they aren't the loudest voice in the room. <laughs> um I I was uh so amazed to learn like of different traditions. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. You know,
0: um I am really wanting to look into Lectio Divina. Lectio Divina. I'm probably butchering that, but mm-hmm. um I was grown up being told that the you know Catholics were not Christian. And some really like awful things, and now uh-huh. I'm like, no, wait a minute! They've got, they've got some amazing tradition yeah. and spiritual practices. I I want to learn that, mm-hmm. um, and and that I guess this is the curiosity that that has to be kind of sparked for people because it's there to be found. There's these entire branches of Christianity and um, all sorts of different places, but for some reason, evangelicalism being kind of the loudest voice in on the landscape um has sort of but but mm-hmm. those things aren't lost they're there to be found and that's so encouraging yeah, yeah, for me definitely.
1: yeah i've thought about like dio divina is like a form of <clears throat> mindfulness with scripture right cuz it is it's getting into that like yes. non-judgmental yes, non-goal oriented <laughs> way of being with scripture of just like i'm just going to notice like what comes yes.
0: up it feels so much more natural too. like, it's funny when you, it, it takes time to kind of get used to it. But once you, again, it comes for me back to that trusting yourself to be able to like read it and say, okay, what am I noticing here? And can I trust my instinct about it? This is a human experience that I'm reading about, even though it's the word, you know, words of God um, and coming into this both. And and this holy space, But so many of us have never had that modeled for us and, Mm -hmm. or didn't even know it existed or that it was okay. Right. So there's so many opportunities, so many. Yeah.
1: We're about finished, but I'm curious. um, So if a pastor was listening to this and, you know, thinking, all right, well, what is the next step that I could do Um, Of course, you know, engaging in therapy can be a really helpful thing. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I wonder, like, yeah, is there is there anything else (laughs) that you would uh, point people to or resources or things that you found helpful?
0: I can speak from my own experience of what sort of got me, (laughs) you know, to this point of realizing something needed to change. And for me, it was um, investigating implicit biases, unpacking patriarchy and white supremacy were key for me, along with therapy. I My mean, therapy was really where a lot of the hard work was done, with a good therapist.
1: Yes, that's important to Qualify.
0: I was with an attachment-focused EMDR therapist, and so I'm a big fan of that particular modality. But there's lots of good ones, you know. Um, but um, when I started as a as a white woman, realizing like what that meant and what privilege is, and things like that, that was sort of a way for me to start seeing the bigger power structures and how power is wielded and I talk a lot about power (laughs) because we are each individually so powerful and I, I want pastors to hear that you have so much more power than maybe you think or feel maybe you have a denomination breathing down your neck dictating to you how you have to do things but you answer to the eternal one you don't answer to man you answer to God A triune God. And I hope that at some point we all find that freedom Mm -hmm. because we individually have enormous power. And if, you know, we believe that we're indwelled by the triune God, (laughs) holy smokes, like there's, there's some amazing implications there when it comes to power. So for me... It was examining what mm-hmm. that looks like. How do I view the other? Which, again, this is all a lot of attachment work here. Um, and uh, what would it mean for me to, mm-hmm. with, without necessarily sacrificing my own um, self, sense of self, or, you know, we're talking about healthy interdependence to lay down my life, to embody Christ, to uh, live in such a way that anyone would feel honored in my presence. That was how Jesus made people feel, and especially those who were marginalized and oppressed. And m- there are entire groups of people in our society that are have been oppressed for ever forever and um you know so starting with implicit bias it might seem like a strange gateway but i think um it's an important one
1: um yeah yeah one of the ways the church has um that I've seen the church fail is to not have a trauma informed lens. And I think understanding privilege and understanding power is yeah. the way that we get there. And I think that whether it's, we're talking about race or economics, there's that dynamic of trauma and
0: power, right? Yes. Yes. And that's what it all boils down to. And it's, it can feel really overwhelming. Um, but this is worthy, worthy work. This is the work of, of life. You know, we have to participate.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think in some ways, uh, pastors are set up to fail. Maybe that's too strong of a word, but yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking about this conversation I had with a colleague a while ago. And, um, when I was at a, at a church that I'm not at now, um, And she uh, had no church background, um, but she was saying, you know, uh, who do you go to, um, you know, when you're struggling, when you need support? She was like, you know, don't you go to your pastor? And I was like, no, my pastor's job is to like run this ship called the church or like, you know, called this specific church. They're sort of like the director of all the activities and they kind of keep this thing running. But that's not the same as someone that is... um, able to be present um, and supportive Um, and in part because they are they've they're in charge of everything Um, so they don't have that space and if you're put in charge of maintaining a system and that is your primary loyalty then it's gonna you're gonna end up harming Mm -hmm. people I think because systems tend to harm people and so I think it's sort of a, a bad setup from the start
0: exactly yeah yeah and i mean i again here's my idealism showing but i think that this strange situation we find ourselves in now is um presenting an opportunity to do things Mm -hmm. differently to dismantle that system and replace it with something better and that's what i really hope that gets taken up as a as a mantle of work by pastors um i hope they don't give up i hope they just um redirect pivot <laughs> and uh you know it's it's hard work but it's worth it
1: well thanks again for taking some time to talk and um yeah i would totally recommend i'll put it in the show notes but your dissertation is quite readable and very interesting and if people want to connect with you or, or um Thank follow you. you online or etc what are ways to do
0: that so uh my website is desert bloom healing bloom like a flower blooms so DesertBloomhealing.com. And uh and if you search my name on most social media i'll be the only ashley davis gavila out there <laughs> so i would love to connect with anybody that would like to awesome thanks so much thank you so much